Do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Are bestsellers all they're hyped up to be? The Terrible Book Club explores whether or not you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. If you've ever seen a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Welcome to episode 88 of the Terrible Book Club. I am Chris, and this is Paris. Hello. This time we read Emeralds of Oz by Peter Guzardi. This is another bookstore find by me. I was in the self-help section of some bookstore, and I found this little gem here. Um, uh, I'll read the summary later. Paris, why don't you tell them what we're doing here? Ha, ha, Chris, you found a gem? Yeah, Gem, the, you found an emerald? Joke. Yes, that was the joke. You, you found the joke. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said it uh, without meaning to. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so if this is your first time listening to the Terrible Book Club, what we do is we read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination thereof. Uh, so we do the opposite of what most people do when they're browsing in a bookstore or somewhere online. We specifically choose books that we think we will not like um, just to see if we're right, to expose ourselves to new things um, and to really force ourselves to, to be critical. Sometimes we actually end up loving the books or liking them or being okay with them. We don't always hate them. They're not always terrible, but they they are a lot. A lot of the time they're terrible. <laughs> but in any case, uh, for today, for content warnings, we have our usual barnyard language. Uh, Chris and I speak pretty casually and there's a fair amount of swearing, so be prepared for that. And God unfortunately once again because the world is terrible we do have to briefly discuss sexual assault and sexual assault eating disorders and abuse um fun yeah yeah cool great how about i read the summary yep go ahead Peter Guzardi spent decades as an editor working with some of the wisest writers of our time from Stephen Hawking and Deepak Chopra to Carol Burnett and Douglas Adams, yet he couldn't shake the sense that everything he'd learned from working with them felt oddly familiar. One day he had an epiphany. All that wisdom had its roots in a film he'd watched as a child, The Wizard of Oz. In Emeralds of Oz, Grisardi invites us to join him on a journey through the classic film, unearthing gems of wisdom large and small about longing, joy, compassion, fear, power, and having faith in ourselves. He also creates a practical Oz-based tool that we can apply to obstacles to our own lives. Now, like Dorothy, we can activate the magical power we've possessed all along. Written with the grace and insight of all I really need to know I learned in kindergarten, Emeralds of Oz is an instant classic and sure to inspire a fresh perspective on this legendary movie and our own lives. Yeah, so this is a weird fucking premise for a book, right? (laughs) Okay. Hey, you want to help yourself? What about The Wizard of Oz? Have you considered The Wizard of Oz? Have you considered 
this movie? Have you considered basing your life on this movie? Yeah, have you considered, like, literally re- revolving your entire philosophy around a, a, a surrealist children's book? Yeah, it's it's a little odd. But, you know, I guess if you're trying to relate to people um, use having this device, something that's popular and... You know, the public consciousness, I, I, I guess I can see that, but it really just feels... The whole thing... What, it, what, is, what is my note about how the whole thing feels? Um, oh, man, I can't find it right now. There's too many notes. <laughs> but I think I said something about how this whole thing feels like someone's final paper in a philosophy class that they put together or the night before. Or a film analysis class. Oh, film analysis. Yeah, it's like... The night before your film analysis final is due and you're like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I watched this movie a bunch. I can analyze that. I'm going to try to make sense out of this Next up, an entire life philosophy based around the film. Analyze that with Robert Nero. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My first note is positive. It says, I love the green glittery pages at the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. You know, he's leaning into the the aesthetic a little bit. He's got some... It, you know, Aussie hey, flair. hey, you know what? This book looks nice. Sure. It's, um, it's got, it was, like, the, the layout was really well thought out. The the font and kerning is great. Um, it's sure. you know, clearly editor. edited. Yeah, clearly he edited. He an editor. Um, very. Well, there's some things that could have been edited more, but. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, like, we're, but very easy to read. Um, no, no, like, misspellings or weird grammar issues or anything. So that was mercifully, that was lovely. I was very mm-hmm. happy that this was just an easy thing to consume. I really like the rough-hewn pages inside of it, the green glittery front and back on the inside covers. Um, yeah, so, like, as a physical object and also in terms of um, the elements of the English language, good. Um, but the content... <laughs> Actually, I take that back. I just looked at the cover and realized that it's it's printed totally off center. Oh well, <laughs> I didn't notice that the whole time. Chris, I'm gonna <laughs> send you a picture of this right now because I can't believe that neither of us noticed that. Yeah, I definitely didn't notice. I, I mean, I'm opening the book and not looking at the cover that much. So you yeah, know. I guess that's I guess that's true. But holy fuck, I God, I well, can't... can we? Let's just start with the, the the fact that this was literally was a thing that Peter Guzzardi himself said, like, hey, I just kind of brainstormed this in front of, like, my publisher, co-worker. He was like, yeah, why don't you do that? And that's how the book was born. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, There's so. There's, like, more on the right side than there is, like, close to the binding of the book. Like, it's closer to the binding than the right side. Like... Yep, and it's also too close to the top. It's just not centered. Anyway, so that's weird, but other... <laughs> Other than the centering of the cover text and graphics, it is fine. It's fine. Um, it's good. So, yeah. Um, yeah, like Chris said, it just kind of, it seemed like it was just kind of a, this side idea this guy had. And yeah, his coworker was like, yeah, just people buy that, I guess. I don't know. Do and it. then it took him five years. To- <laughs> <laughs> I hate to laugh so hard, but. He says it took him five years to write this, like, 120-ish page book that doesn't really contain any deep analysis. Yeah, I really feel like this is something you could have fleshed out and published within a year if you have other commitments. So Even two if you've got, like, a busy schedule. Yeah, so, I don't know, maybe he just, 
maybe it took five years because he just didn't work on it a lot. Like, I get yeah. that. I mean, yeah, sure. If it's like a really side projecty thing, uh, uh, fine. But yeah, like... I guess I guess I would. I mean, you know, because think about how often bands put out albums like, you know, we put out our EP in 2019 and I don't think our full length's going to see the light of day until like 2022 <laughs> so fair point i guess yeah. but i mean you know but yeah little, yeah i guess the idea is like from this the, the yeah that's true the idea is like if if he was working on it earnestly and often for five years it's kind of laughable but i i'm yeah. i'm guessing he wasn't you know this guy is obviously a an established editor has a you know a real job you mm-hmm. know things family etc so anyway um i i don't know um Oh, the copy we have is signed. I, we just can't get rid of the. We can't escape from the signed. I keep books. buying the used books, and they all have author signatures on them for whatever reason. Yeah, I which just keep getting lucky, I suppose. To me, that's just not a great sign. <laughs> yeah, something about it screams like I signed all the physical copies. Yeah, or and I then just, just I, them out in the world. I thrust them onto my friends, and they were too polite not to you know, too polite to say no. So then they got rid of it afterward. Um. Yeah, I, I I don't know. He, I have a lot of notes. Um, there's you know there's like a quote at the beginning from uh, Krishnamurti, who is I guess arguably an important philosopher. But it's just I'm I'm not really. I think the other problem with me is I'm not really into this kind of philosophy. This like so the quote reads uh, from Krishnamurti: "There is no path to truth. Truth must be discovered, but there is no formula for its discovery." You must set out on the uncharted sea, and the uncharted sea is yourself. <laughs> and to me, it just sounds like some target mom wall hanging level shit. And even yeah. though I know that Krishnamurti is like an important philosopher for people, um, I am just not into stuff like this with this whole the kind of the vague and by by stuff like this I mean vaguely positive, wishy washy <laughs> aphorisms like the uncharted sea is yourself like yeah dude i get it like we all have to seek our own truths in life and we have to tackle our own shit before we try to find any like ultimate truth i get it but But what if you did it with dorothy (laughs) and her pals and here's the other thing is i feel like starting this book with this quote kind of demeans this quote and the work of krishnamurti (laughs) (laughs) because you know he's you know he's like a well well enough regarded philosopher um so uh, yeah i kind of like juxtaposing that with this this analysis this 101 film analysis of the wizard of oz is kind of weird but i don't know man i guess whatever makes you know what if you consume a piece of art and it impacts you positively that's cool i just think it's a little cheesy and i think this book overall could have done with cutting a lot of the content because it's so repetitive and that's i think the biggest thing that chris and i have a problem with you know jokes aside you know i think that if you if you want to try to you know spew your positivity into the world that's fine um just maybe don't be so fucking repetitive about it Especially if you're an editor. Especially if you're an editor. Especially if your professional job is that you're an editor. Yeah, I was really surprised by that, given his pedigree. Um, yeah, so anyway, so just to kind of give you an explanation of the structure of the book and the kinds of things we're talking about, um, it's split up into, um, I forget what he calls the main points. Emerald? No, the emeralds are the big points. He yeah, has a bunch of the emeralds of wisdom. He has a bunch of small points, and they're numbered. Um, so it's one through six, 
50 some 60 something something around there one through sorry there's a bunch of shit at the back of the book that isn't part of this uh one through 52 yeah roughly okay one through 52 so there's 52 um pieces of wisdom and then there are eight eight nine 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 emeralds of wisdom some of his big points so um there's sort of uh, let me just read some examples so uh number 13 is showing up is at least half the battle 41 gi joe says right 41 being afraid of fear only makes it worse so befriend it instead you know it's just like these little phrases aphorisms what have you um, at the beginning, though, before he gets into the pieces of wisdom and then the emeralds of wisdom, he there's a forward. And I don't know why I have... I have a note that says fear versus water. Fight! I, I don't really remember what that was about. So I probably should have done a better job of taking notes. Yeah, that's the problem when we, like, read books way for, before, like, we do an episode is we end up forgetting, like, what the fuck is this note about? Yeah. Very specifically put down. Yeah. Why we're fear and water fighting. Fear is a thing that keeps coming up in this book as like, uh, hey, don't be afraid of things, but also be a little bit afraid of things because that's smart. <laughs> it like, kind of yeah. trips over itself a lot in that way. Yeah. Um, so I have a note that says, I can very much relate to the author's feelings regarding books being an escape when you're a child and everyone hates you. <laughs> he talks about just being a kid and being picked on and like, you know not having friends and things like that. And I, yeah, I totally get that. Like books were also my refuge as a kid. I mean, totally. Uh, he also tells the story about how he, he ends up making this one friend who becomes, you know, his best friend and they go out and play in the snow and his dad forgets to pick them up. Yeah, and so they have to walk home in the, in, in the cold snow and they're like, the, it's such a long walk and they were so young that they're like okay we got this last Hershey's bo- this box of chocolates we gotta live off of this <laughs> until we get Poor home kids Jesus Christ I know I felt so bad I was like wow this dad just fucking abandoned these kids in the middle of winter what are you doing that like just makes you forget that like oh shit I left my kid in the snow <laughs> with his friend like it's not yeah. even like it was one child it was two children that you abandoned in the winter um and then there's like, so I don't know, that was just like a kind of a funny anecdote. Um, and then he says how he had a mind-altering experience because he went hiking basically without proper foresight about how elevation changes affect your ability to breathe. <laughs> and I was just like, how do you go hiking and not think about that? Some people don't, you know, until you face it, you don't think about it. I don't know. It's just kind of weird because you really got to plan your hikes, people. Plan your hikes. It prevents injury and death. Plan your hikes, please. And by plan your hikes, I mean get a map. Know how to read a map. <laughs> Check trail conditions uh, from other people on the internet. It's pretty easy to do. Read up on the terrain you're facing and elevation change. Uh, make sure you have a plan. Make sure people know where you're going, when you're supposed to be back. And if not, they know where to look for you and who to call. Um, sorry, just just my two cents we had actually chris chris and i recently had a friend who uh misjudged a hike and almost got stuck so (laughs) you know it's important um yeah i don't know it was just weird that he was like oh i could barely breathe on this hike and it changed my life he had like an anxiety attack oh yeah i'm I'm sorry god that's i'm sorry that sounds really insensitive i didn't remember you're right again this is the problem with reading books a little 
too ahead of schedule. Sorry about that. Yeah, you're right. He did have an anxiety attack. I'm an asshole. Sorry. Um, yeah, anyway, um, I can see how having your first anxiety attack could really change your your view of the world. Um, I don't know. Chris, do you have any insight on that? Yeah, you know, I think in his situation, it was like the elevation and like not being prepared for the hike that triggered it in a way. Yeah. But he, I, I think he... The reason he puts it in this book is that, like, hey, you know, it's it's a fear thing which he keeps bringing back around, mm. and he he sort of has this like just work through it, it'll be fine attitude, which is like, okay, yeah, you should work on it, but like it's not the only thing that. Yeah, it's not really how anxiety attacks work. You can't just be like, I'm fine, and they go away. I mean, there are steps you can take to mitigate the effects and get through them, but it does seem a little like, uh, I don't know. Not or reductive. It's yeah, a redu- reductive. A way to approach. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, uh, he there's a quote that I actually was was like, oh wow, this is accidentally this is actually really fucking poignant right now. Um, he says that we must fight the tendency to sleepwalk through our lives and awaken. And uh, while that's a really p- kind of fucking pompous way to say that, I I agree with the general sentiment. Um, I think it is very easy to become mired in the day to day and become complacent with just kind of surviving um, and, you know, not really thinking about anything beyond you. So don't do that. Think about things beyond you. I mean, unless his, obviously, yeah, unless, really... obviously unless if you're, unless you're in a really shit spot and like you literally can't because your every, your day to day is so hard. And I get that. But um, yeah, well, I mean like the reason he brought that up is like, he's always, he's going through the film chronologically pretty much. And he's always like tying an aphorism or an idea like this. And this is around the beginning of uh, the movie where I, I think he's referring to like Dorothy dreaming or something even, or like, yeah, know. I think so. Um, and I then it, I don't remember. I'm don't sorry. Remember. Um, I, I was, I remember reading this sentence in the forward where he was like, we're going to talk about like Kant, Plato, Socrates, Freud, and young and how they're present in awe and wizard of Oz. And I was like, can we not, can we not talk about how Freud, is present can we it's really he just brings up freud a couple of times freud and jung like, because jung yeah. was jung wrote a lot about dreams um i've read i've read about, again, the whole thing is very surface level film analysis yeah. and like i don't remember know, him it, bringing it, up kant plato or socrates do you no me neither uh, no. yeah me neither so like it's it's just the thing where he's just it seems like he's just trying to squeeze he watches the movies like 500 times over five years i guess <laughs> and just squeezes out every last bit of surface-level analysis that he could. And it's not, like, inherently bad to, you know, analyze, even on a surface-level, a piece of media like that, but just, like... Yeah, I want to encourage people to engage with the media they like and try to find out why they like it. I mean, that's, like, what we do on this show, right? Um, Yeah, but, like, it seems like publishing it in this way is stretching a lot, especially when a lot of the ideas that he... or aphorisms that he brings up are kind of reused just, uh, two yeah, or three times exactly. sometimes. Yeah, sometimes four or five. Yeah, it's just the same shit over and over again. Um, I also was confused by his... He seemed to... He brought up Freud a lot more than anything else. Uh, the, like, a lot more than any of... Like, I, I straight up do not remember him talking about Immanuel Kant or Plato or Socrates. He brought up Jung... Once or twice when he was talking about dreams, because of course, like that's Jung's thing. Um, but he brought up Freud a couple times, and I know that Freud obviously um, is important to psychology and psychoanalysis. But hasn't so much of his shit been kind of like maybe not debunked, but tossed I'm aside? Pretty sure, is... yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like people consider it um, 
I don't know. Yeah, like, people aren't still using Freudian tactics, are they? I mean, obviously, I have no specialty in psychology or psychoanalysis, but, like, I I just always remember Freud kind of being referenced with disdain because he thought everything was about how you wanted to fuck a family member, right? Like, that was his, like, whole thing. Everything was vaginal or, or phallic, right? Like, that was his whole deal. I don't know. I, 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 I could be... T- not all of it, but, like, a good portion of it. I could be talking out of my ass. Like, I know, obviously, that he um, did a lot in terms of... In terms of how he treated people. Like, the whole, the whole like, dialogue between a... You know, it's like... I never... God, I always use psychologists, psychiatrists, and therapists in the wrong way. I know that they are different. I, apologies. Um, but those professionals and a patient... Um, and I, I don't know. I think that obviously his stuff is influential, but I don't know. Yeah, I always thought that that his, a lot of his stuff was. Yeah, like if you're not great. in psychiatry or psychoanalysis, you're not probably using Freud techniques in contemporary times. But well, I think if you're it, doing a it's... surface level analysis of a film and trying to pull out some basic shit, then yeah, you probably might reference Freud. Well, no, I think I think his. His methods were fine. I just think that the conclusions... I think his methods were highly influential uh, and maybe still stick today, but his conclusions about sexuality and um, and stuff like that were the things that were problematic. But again, I don't... I'm not an expert on this, so please don't crucify me too hard. I mean, obviously, let me know what I'm wrong about, but I... Um, I don't know, and maybe I'm just remembering things incorrectly, but I, I, I personally just don't think of... I don't remember Fred fondly. Um, based on what I remember reading about him in, in philosophy. But anyway. Um, some wisdom here. Some Emeralds of Oz. Uh, um, yeah. There, uh, so, yeah, let's talk about, like, number one, the first, the first little baby gem. There are no mistakes, only lessons. And, yeah, I actually very much identify with learning that they're, with learning that they're, when you're young, kind of being brought up with the the idea that there's only a right and a wrong answer and clinging to the perceived right ones and having to unlearn that whole system throughout your adolescence and adulthood because that has been my experience. Yeah, especially as like a music educator when you have to convince people to like, hey, just try something. Make the mistake and learn from that. And that is part of the experience here. It's, the goal is to not play perfectly. The goal is to play and get information from that and... Dude, I still struggle with this every day. Like, just, I was, yeah, when I was a kid, it was like, you were either perfect or you were nothing. That was it. There was no, there was no room for error. If you made any mistake, it was a failure. It was a a total and complete failure that you were to be ashamed of. And so my whole, I've spent, yeah, I still, I'm still unlearning that stuff now. Um, I definitely have a perfectionist streak and it's, yeah, it's tough. So, so yeah, I was... I just remember being like, oh, wow, do I, I, am I agreeing with things in this book already? That's exciting. Yeah, yeah there's a <laughs> lot of stuff in here that's perfectly agreeable yeah, and good reasonable. Yeah, good the, advice. The, yeah, some of it. The content of it is not necessarily that bad. There's some things, there's some point, like the next two points you have, it's like, it's important to speak your mind. When a child keeps trying to tell you something, stop and listen to them. Yeah. Uh, yes, sure. Generally, d- good surface level advice that everyone has probably heard and tries to implement on some level. Yeah, um, but then, you know, the first emerald we get is listen to your longing. 
and I was conflicted about this. I don't know, Chris, how you felt, but I said, I'm not sure because I think longing like this, the like he talks about, can actually lead to some pretty bad choices in people desperate for connection. Um, I think that sometimes a lot... Sorry, I need to clearly reference the text because it's been a while since I read this. And For me, I mean, like, you know, you should... Be truthful to what you actually want. Don't let other people's ideas of what you should and shouldn't do guide your decision making. And I think the sort of the blanching you had at it is the idea of like, don't follow it recklessly, which I don't think he's necessarily encouraging you to do it recklessly. But, it, you know, it, as we have seen before in many episodes of Terrible Book Club, if you don't follow that longing with at least some self-critique and consideration it can be somewhat disastrous yeah yeah that's a good way to put it um yeah well and i yeah i just think that sometimes people i don't know yeah i think i think you've said what needs to be said i'm gonna shut up now um i don't know some of them i just skipped and because i didn't have much to say about it i I don't think we need to go through every single 52 bits and nine emeralds but um, number 11, we both had issues with, it was, uh, let me just read the exact. Avoid regrets, honor your caregivers. So that, those, those are tied statements. Avoid regrets, colon, honor your caregivers. Um, Chris and I obviously had a pretty <clears throat> visceral reaction. Yeah, because <laughs> he even says like, you know, oh, you know, your parents can't always be perfect. Even if they did bad stuff, you should learn to forgive them in the long run. And I'm like, mm-hmm. nope. No, the answer is no. <laughs> Maybe don't hold on to a grudge and, like, you know, yeah, let that control you. But, like, at the same time, you don't, sometimes things happen that you can't just let go. And because people need to have consequences for that action. Sometimes the consequence of that action is their child's holding a, you know, not wanting to talk to them. Yeah. I mean, I think we've both, I think we've both spoken <clears throat> here and there on the show in the past about how we both had troubling relationships with certain parents and how... um you know, in my case, I've completely, uh, I've become completely estranged from my mother by choice. Um, and that was a great decision. <laughs> if I, and you know, there are some of you out there who are going to balk at that and we're going to maybe think I'm a terrible person, but, um, I just think that these kinds of relationships are a case by case basis situation and telling you that you always need to forgive someone and accept them for their failings is dangerous. Um, yeah, and he, like, there's a lot of assumptions made in that area, yeah. too. Like, he assumes, like, the reader's definitely going to have children of their own, too. Like, yes. that's, the thing that's definitely going to happen, where it's like, well, who who's going to take care of you when you're older? I was like, I don't know, fucking dude, I guess until, like, my legs get so creaky that I can't stand up anymore, then, like, that's it for me. But, like, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, a, there's definitely an assumption of, like, the people that are reading this are exactly like me, which is a heterosexual white man with a wife and children and like if you're not that you're all you're going to be part of that yeah there's just kind of this i it's not it's not like overbearing or even that obvious i really think that child comment was probably the only thing that yeah made me well that and it definitely feels like this guy is pretty wealthy and privileged by the way mm-hmm. that he writes about certain things um anyway yeah i think that respecting your guardians is um great if if they haven't um done horrible things to you right like yes treat your parents well um but there are limits to that and you should please please be aware that there are limits and you do not have to feel like you need to forgive everyone who this has is just turning into you. like 
Chris and Paris also give advice <laughs> through the lens of Emeralds of Oz. Emeralds of Emeralds of Oz. <laughs> no, it's like it's like <laughs> sapphires of Emeralds of Oz. Yeah, sure. Rubies of Emeralds of Oz of sapphires <laughs> with diamonds. I mean, like, we could do this all day with, like, certain things that, like, are fine. Like, showing up is half the battle. G.I. Joe. That works, <laughs> I guess. Oh, I and I also made another note of not to go back to Freud and Jung, but I have a, a note that says that his connections to Freud and Jung are just, movie has dream. These guys wrote about dream. Therefore, Freud and Jung. <laughs> yeah, that's about <laughs> Whoa, as okay. deep as it goes, guys. Um, showing up is half the battle. Yeah, yeah, kind of. You know, number 14, I... I think, like like Chris, like you were saying, you know, just trying is an important step. Um, you know, and number, I don't know, E2, I said, I mean, yeah, do your Emerald best two. to be objective. The second I, Chaos Emerald, I mean, second, uh, Oz Emerald. What are Chaos Emeralds? Sonic the Hedgehog. You have to get all the Chaos Emeralds in Sonic oh, games. Oh, okay. Um, that, that's what I was thinking of this whole time. It was oh. like, this is Robotnik's like, backdoor plan. Like, he couldn't get the Chaos Emeralds. So finally, he's like, fuck it. I'll get those Oz Emeralds, and I'll finally be rid of Sonic. Oh, that's brilliant. See, I never played Sonic, so I'm I'm pretty estranged from the lore of that world. So sorry. Once I, I have all the Emeralds of Oz, I can finally out-wisdom Sonic and his dastardly, <laughs> annoying crew. I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't come up with a Robotnik thing to say there. That's okay. Eggs. I don't <laughs> Um, so yeah, the second Emerald of Wisdom is see the world as if for the first time, which is kind of like cleansing yourself of assumptions, um, which is why I made the note of like, yeah, you know, do your best to be objective, except when being objective is a disservice to the truth, which, um, <laughs> is, I think, a problem in the media, uh, sure. <laughs> and a lot of people who, um, yeah, like, Anyway, context is important. Yeah. That's all I'll say. Just on like that. anything else, like, but a lot of the stuff, like, there's, I think we're not like dropping in like where, from what particular scenes in the movie he's pulling this from, but like, how important is that really? Like, in general, it's like, hey, you know, be, you know, make give yourself the chance to make new friends because she makes friends with the scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion. Have common, clear boundaries because Dorothy stands up for herself when, you know, the, the yeah. whatever that lady's name was tries to take Toto. Ask for help when you, you need it, like from the, her friends, the Scarecrow and the Tin Man. Um, Yeah, like, so number 14 is don't be fooled by appearances and don't take anyone else's word for what they mean. Um, And yeah, I, I agree that, you know... I, I kind of liked the author points out that he's kind of doing that and not to take his word as gospel. Like, he's kind of self-aware in 14. Yeah, he's which, even like, hey, man, don't even follow all this shit in here. Just kind of see if it works for you or not. Whatever. Which, honestly, he got some points from me there for the self-awareness. Yeah. You know, that was good. Because um, there's definitely nothing I hate more than self-help authors who are like, I am the way and the truth. <laughs> and you're yeah. just like, whoa. He's definitely not doing that. He's just like... Which I super some... appreciate how casual... Yeah. I really appreciate how casual the tone is in this. True. I will say I really appreciate that um, for a self-help book because they're usually so heavy-handed and in a lot of ways, self-help books can be kind of, I don't know, almost conniving in the way that yeah. they write about like, things. So I really but, like how casual the tone is, how he has some self-awareness. He's just like, yeah, man, you know, this worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you. But if not, that's cool, too. <laughs> so that was yeah. nice. Um, 
I, I don't think we have to go through this like agreeing and disagreeing with every point that we made like a note on. So like I think it's just maybe with some of the lessons that he gives. <laughs> Can here you tell that, like, that Chris and I have already recorded a two hour and twenty minute episode today, and he is fucking yeah, done? <laughs> yeah, like dude, I don't. Th- that's not what Terrible Book Club is good for. It's just like reviewing aphorisms. That's not what this is. So like, what we can't be aphorism review club. Like, no, uh, yeah, but but like yeah, so like the the other stuff that you hear that we generally agree with, which is like, you know, Emerald Four compassion, just have that is a good thing, of course. Um, well, I think Chris, like I made notes because I wanted to talk about these things, so I'm sorry, but you don't get to right. tell me we don't talk about. <laughs> okay, well, I'm gonna have my compassion for you then, <laughs> in that you took the time to write this down. Thank you. I appreciate your compassion. We've learned from Peter Grizzardi and his Emeralds of Oz, or I have at least, um, I suppose. And and I also reflect that compassion uh, back to you and appreciate that you don't want to dwell on this stuff, so I'll try to go fast and skip anything that's <laughs> not... You. I'll try to stick to the Sonic, the wisdom of Sonic here that's being yeah. told to us. And I'll try to go real fast and skip anything that's <laughs> yeah. not important. Gotta go fast. <laughs> Gotta go fast. I'm sorry. We're gonna read this book real quick. Emerald of Wizard Three. Celebrate yourself and others for showing up. My note on that is: yeah, encouraging other people is cool and good, and you should do it. But I don't love when that goes too far and people get celebrated for barely fucking doing anything or doing something very lazily. Yeah, you know, like, uh, again, anything here has limits. That's part of his, like, number 14 thing where he's like, hey, see what works for you, right? So we're seeing how it works for us here. Uh, Number 15 was just about calm and clear boundaries. And I was like, yeah, my man, fuck yes, calm and clear boundaries. I'm all about it. Love it. Uh, 16 is just filler. And I said, yeah, sorry, dude, the earlier points accrued have been deducted. Yeah, can you read number 16 then? Because this is the other, the major, if we're going to get into, like, the actual thing about this book. This is the thing that annoyed me. Watch out for houses falling from the sky, especially if you're being wicked. And the only entry for 16 is, no explanation needed here. This good advice comes a a little late for the Wicked Witch of the East, but it's clearly having an impact on her sister. Ha, ha. So I get like, ha, ha, funny joke. Watch out for houses, but like, fuck, clearly you're just padding shit, dude. Yeah. As an editor, this is the thing you should be removing. Yeah, I know. Um, And then the other main point here about editing and cutting stuff is there's just a ton of ideas repeated in different ways. Like, speak your mind pops up like four, three or four times. Um, And it just could have been cut. Like, you just could have cut all these extra ones. You just only had to say it once. Um, Yeah, why wasn't that necessarily an emerald? Why not just like cut? Maybe he should have just cut it down to the emeralds and had like larger chapters about that. Yeah, that honestly would have also made more sense. Um, I don't know. You made a note that there number 17 was about like not taking shortcuts or something. And and I was like, yeah, "Yeah, I agree. This was like the one thing actually that I really liked was like kind of more than a surface level analysis where when Dorothy is told to take the yellow brick road at first in the movie, there's like a spiraling outward of it before it goes down the main road. And she bothers to, like, kind of skip around the whole spiral before going down the road. And, like, Peter's like, hey, there's a little lesson in there. And, like, don't take shortcuts. You know, do the whole process. And I was like, all right, dude. Fine. Cool. I agree with that. Absolutely. Start at the beginning and take one step at a time. And this is a great, like, a lot of people try to take shortcuts with, like, fitness and health stuff. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a really useful piece of advice for handling those things. I mean, but handling anything, really. Um... Number 18 was just a repetition that could have been cut. Um, 
19 was asked for help and I was like, yeah, dude, I'm still learning to do this. Like, that's another thing that stems from my whole, uh, yeah, sorry this is turning into a, you know, Freudian episode of Terrible Book Club where I'm just like, yeah, these are all my problems, guys. <laughs> Terrible psychoanalysis. <laughs> Terrible psychoanalysis. With Sigmund Freud. <laughs> I got it all wrong. <laughs> I don't think Sigmund Freud was an Italian pasta hucker, but okay. Uh, I don't know. You just sounded like a guy trying to sell me gnocchi on the side of the fucking road. Um, <laughs> I messed it all up. He's terrible gnocchi. Have Freud is. Freud wasn't. Anyway, Freud was German or Austrian. Sorry, Freud was Austrian, right? Yeah. Austrian. Am I right yeah. about this? Yeah. Okay, That's Austrian. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Ooh, said German. That was a oof, wow. Moving that was a mistake. <laughs> um. Yeah, like, asking for help is really important, and it's something I still struggle with, like, in all aspects of my life. Ask Chris. He'll tell you. Once in a while, I'm like, Chris, I need a really huge favor. Um, I hope it's okay, and if it's not, you can totally tell me to fuck off. And Chris is like, yeah, what is it? And I'm like, can you, like, make an episode document? <laughs> and he's <laughs> like, yeah, Ferris, I can, I can pull, pull a, you know, I can, I can do something for our shared hobby. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so asking for help is good. You should do it. Um, number 20 seems to contradict the speak your mind points from earlier when he was talking about how politeness can end in cowardice, which is something that I really, that's a point, that's a point I find really valuable, but he seems to kind of walk that back a few times. So I don't know. That that was kind of frustrating. Yeah, that's um, him doing the thing again where he's just sort of like saying like, hey, you know, maybe some of this works for you, some of it doesn't. I'm just going to kind of spew what I think out here. It, mm. Yeah, again, could have used a bit of a tighter edit in that regard. Um, E4 is emerald, the emerald for the, you know, the big point is compassion, which is honestly something that is hugely important and something that took me way too long to learn. Um, I don't know about you, Chris, but I feel like, I feel like I, as as how fucking liberal and lefty I am, I wasn't always that way. Uh, yeah, I was a shitty teenager too. And it takes, it unfortunately took a long time for me to kind of grow out of all that and, and be more compassionate. Um, both both towards others and to myself, which is probably the one Especially I struggle yourself. with most. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But, like, then number 21 and 22 are the same. Just compassion. And then compassion gets repeated multiple times. Uh, it, like, even more than Can that. Can you read the headlines for 21 and 22? Just to uh, yeah, sure. Um, give us an idea of that. Helping that. others gives you a boost, too. And as you see the world, so it shall be. And just the text of those is just compassion. Like, it's yes. just obvious. Um. 63 to 64, I have a note that clearly I need to read something from... That's pages 63 and 64, not... Yeah, I have, a, I have a note that says, that's right, the Wizard of Oz was telling us to tear down capitalism too, and I don't, I'm don't. i just going to have to find that passage. Um, <laughs> yeah, why don't you read that bit out loud just to re-clarify. Oh, um... Expand those ripples of compassion ever more widely to include everyone in your region, your state, your country, and the world. Uh... Farther and farther out they go until your loving kindness encompasses the entire universe. Um, sorry, I'm just skipping ahead. Over and over, compassion transmutes the raw materials of Oz in ways that makes Dorothy's journey such a golden success. The land of Oz, you'll notice, is not transactional. In the film, Dorothy never pays for anything. Not for that cab ride or that visit to the beautician. In Baum's book, she's offered food and drink and lodging along the yellow brick road. Yet money never changes hands. Oz is utopian in a way that the world we're living in is not, and one message Dorothy's dream conveys is that deep within us, we aspire to such generosity. 
What in what way? Small as a smile or big as a squirt of oil and a rusty stranger? Oh wow, that's a sentence. Mm, mm. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, can you? Wh- in what way can you and I help bring this aspect of Oz to life? He's telling you to crush your capitalist oppressors. Yeah. Get rid of all the money. We don't need it. The the perfect utopian society is not transactional. No money is exchanged. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. I just had to point that out. I thought it was funny. That's um, helping, Pete. 23 and 24 are just... They just seem like the same thing, and he could have put them together. Um, Which are? Uh... We're not the best judges of ourselves, and when it comes to assessing ourselves, we may be getting it completely butt backwards. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the same really thing. I don't. The- yeah, I don't know why he separated those. Um, e five uh, is you already possess what you desire most, and I said I don't totally agree because I think having confidence is good and not letting hurtful shit get you down, but ignoring everyone's criticisms of you is probably not healthy either. Um, plus, I said plenty of people lack wisdom, heart, or courage. <laughs> Yeah. So, trying to say that everyone just intrinsic. I think I think maybe everyone has the ability to learn those qualities if they don't already have them. And some people, sure, kind of um, through their lived experience, acquire those early and just kind of have them. But I, I don't think it's fair to just say that, like, everybody's got wisdom and whatever heart is. I don't you know. can certainly develop them over Courage. time. And yeah, that yeah, comes from within yourself, sure. Yes, but, yes. like, you, you, you know, you still have to work at things. And yeah, again, having confidence is good, like I said, but I do think it's it's a tough balance, right, to listen to criticisms, criticisms of yourself and to try to recognize whether they're valid, but you need to do that work. You can't just ignore everything everybody says about you. That's negative. I don't think you should let it... Obvi- obviously, like, there's a fucking line. Like, if some fucking internet troll is like, you're a fat, dumb idiot, like, I don't give a shit about that. But if a friend of mine is like, hey, Paris, I think sometimes you can be... Fat dumb idiot. <laughs> fat dumb idiot. I'd be like, oh man, Chris, you want to explain to me why I'm a fat dumb idiot? And if Chris is like, well, here's my short thesis on why you're a fat dumb idiot, I'm like, well, Chris, you know me pretty well. I guess I need to decide if you know. I would never even say I, I, no, fat and dumb I, either. So oh, but idiot, totally on the table. <laughs> I believe the first two are invalid criticisms, but idiot. <laughs> Obviously, like, we're just having a laugh, but, yeah. um, but no, I, I could, like, poor Chris has been my friend for so long, and he's had to put up with me being a stubborn fucking piece of shit. I can be really stubborn. Um, so I appreciate that Chris has told me a few times how I am stubborn and it is frustrating, and so that has helped me be less stubborn over time. Uh, anyway, that's just an example. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for being humble, you fuck. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I had to have confidence. That's what Pete said. Uh, it was yeah. always in me all along to criticize you. <laughs> you had the courage and heart and wisdom <laughs> to, to put me mind. down. <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah, perfect example of how like these things can backfire, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Um. Oh, number twenty-five is something said from an extreme place of pri- or place of extreme privilege. Um. Number twenty-five is the best things in life are free. And I was like, yeah, if you have all your free basic needs met, I think it's important to value human connection. But, uh, yeah, it's not that easy for everyone, my dude. Not everybody wakes up, uh, you know, able to pay all their bills in a safe community where they're not threatened. Um, I just think it's kind of 
it's kind of insensitive yeah. to be like, oh, the best things in life are free, huh? Yeah, after a certain point, sure, but mm, you still need food. And food is good, and it costs money. I don't know if you knew this, but like, food is one of my favorite things in the world, and it costs money. Also, I'd just like to point out that my favorite meme, meme where I feel very seen, there's this meme of a, a really chubby cat curled up in bed, and the text reads, How I sleep knowing food is good and I get to eat more of it tomorrow. <laughs> I and love that, that is, one. That's saved on my phone. Is a that, fun thing yeah. That is just how I feel all the time. Yeah, um, I, yeah that's like, honestly, it's a lot of my reason to like wake up tomorrow. Is like, <laughs> but hey, Dude, food is there tomorrow. I'm not even kidding. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, I just ate dinner and I had a little dessert. So, you know, I really shouldn't eat. But I'm like, oh, but if I go to sleep, I get to wake up and eat again. Like I'm yeah, cutting down I've the time. I've thought before. 100%. <laughs> cutting down the time between me and my next snack. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's keep on going down the, the yellow brick road of wisdom. Oh, um, 26, I said, hard agree, except don't get too caught up in that or you'll mire yourself in indecision. Yeah, you have to, like, read these. Um, you can't just number them, Paris. Keep, the listeners have no context. Uh, 26 is keep an eye out for the law of unintended consequences. And that just means, you know, consider the consequences of your actions, which is reasonable. Um, but, like I said, you know, I think... Uh, as someone like me, I can get really too caught up in all the possible permutations, you know, you know, like red string on a on a board full of newspaper cutouts, kind of like, yeah. <laughs> you know, a little too crazy about desperately trying to make the exact right choice every time. And I and I, that can definitely um, paralyze you. Mm-hmm. So that's what paralyzes me most of the time when I'm just making music, which is like the blank yep. page where you're like, now what's the best thing to do? You, just, you need to just do. Number 27 is you can face anything when you're arm in arm with friends. And I was like, yeah, friends are cool. Why does this need to be said? Please cut this. <laughs> That's, I guess maybe you could have rolled that into like the ask for help thing too. Like, yeah, again, you could, yeah. this could all be condensed. Number 28 though. <laughs> Number which 28 is, basically, is skipping is always a quick pick me up. And Chris said. I know. I've never skipped once in my life. It seems like it would hurt my knees. And it doesn't really seem like that efficient or I don't know, maybe like I would just rather jog. Uh, yeah, I was also like this could have been cut. I know he was just trying to make a joke, but it was just doesn't The jokes are so stuff. corny though. Yeah. It's like, just like such corny. 29 said you can't laugh and be afraid at the same time. My note is fucking try me. I laugh when I'm uncomfortable and afraid all the damn time. <laughs> I'm full of laughter and fear. They yeah. exist simultaneously. <laughs> that's my invitation. I guess. Chris, that sounded kind of. Oh wow. Okay, that's the thing that happened. Um... Speaking of fear, laughing. <laughs> yeah, look at that. You should confront those fears. Lived example. Which is what number thirty wants you to do. Fear is nothing to be ashamed of, um, but I was just like, yeah, confronting your fears is absolutely very healthy and necessary, but he makes it seem it's like it's so easy when it's really not. It's not easy. That's why you're afraid of them. It's not easy. Um, number 31 is don't be seduced by pretty poppies, and hilariously, he doesn't make the direct connection between poppies and opium. He talks about, he's like, oh, just be afraid of them because they're like too pretty to be good like too good to be true and i was like you know you could have just went straight <laughs> yeah. for the opium yeah. connotation but he didn't and that whole passage just makes 
addiction seem like something that's kind of easy to conquer and it's not. Um, yeah, he, he's he, got a little bit of that, like, just will yourself out of it in I here. Mean, I mean, he talks about doing group therapy for, um, I guess, an eating disorder? Yeah. Um, yeah, he said he's struggled with food and it was like an addiction for him. And, you know, he did group therapy and I guess it really helped him get to a healthier place, which is great. But there's just a little bit of it like, yeah, you know, just take action. It'll be fine. I guess, I guess for me, I'm thinking of like drug addictions and how difficult those are. I know food is, you know, we just talked about how much we love food, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess it just comes across as a little too simplified for a topic that is really nuanced and complex so uh number 32 can just be cut because it's a repetition of speak up ask for help 33 call in a higher power well if you've ever listened to tbc mm, you know why we no, have no. a problem with that no 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 just a generally just a toxic idea to me i like i yep. understand that admitting you need help is a huge step in it and maybe the thought of a higher power can bring you to help yourself you know through thinking that or having faith in something that's guiding you but too often, prayer and higher power stuff is really used as a way to think you did something when you didn't do anything because you prayed, and that's it, and that's all you did. You got to do the action part too, guys. Yeah, I also um, feel similarly. Yeah, I feel similarly. Um, <laughs> I think that I think that people, I, you know, I have no problem if people have a faith that's healthy for them that they engage in. Healthily, yeah. Just gonna repeat myself like this fucking book, um, <laughs> I, you know. But like you said, it, uh, prayer and faith can often be a reason for inaction and not really doing anything to help yourself because you're just like, oh, God will take care of it, or the goddess will take care of it, or nature will take care of it, or you know, whatever, whatever form your deity or deities take. So you yeah. need to take the action yourself. Yeah, and I said my note. My note to your note was hardest degree of all time flex arm emoji. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So please, please pray responsibly. That's our note for number 23. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Somehow there's a note in here that angels are vampires. And I was like, oh, my God, vampire Viking angels confirmed. (laughs) Yeah, he know, that's the wisdom of Oz. He finally found them all. A callback to episode, I don't know, 40, I think. Something about... Um, the, the angel had fangs or something. Yeah, yeah. I also don't even know. I'm looking to see where the fuck that even came from. Because it was text. like, this is the point where, like, they're getting to, in the movie, where they're getting to the, the witch's, Wicked Witch's castle. Because I had a note about, like, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, like, if the Wicked Witch was, like, weak to water, why did she have a bucket of water hanging around in her castle that Dorothy could splash on her accidentally? Wouldn't you hey, not want water anywhere near you? I don't know, man. You still gotta wash the floors, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Also, you, gotta, you um, know, you gotta keep this evil palace clean. Also, I was informed by uh, Rebecca that in Wicked, uh, if you know what that is, it's like the musical slash book about like this the true story of the Wicked Witch of the West. Oh yeah, I've never read it or seen it. I don't fucking know anything. It tur- about it. In, in like at the end of that book, it's like, oh, the water didn't really kill her. It was just her excuse to like fade away and like not have to deal with anything. So. <laughs> retconned that i mean that's fine i guess <laughs> sure i mean she was a witch so she could have made it seem like she was melting and it, wicked but... cast wicked cast the wicked witch is more of like a she's going against like the almost like tyrannical nature of like the other good witches and she's just trying to define herself oh uh, okay i see okay well i don't know that's 
interesting maybe i just i just remember when i was in high school it was really popular and i never liked any of the songs the other theater kids would sing so i never checked it out <laughs> i thought Fair that enough. i thought they were really lame i didn't i wasn't into it i just know that one line from that one song so uh i i don't even know um something i could defy gravity yeah it's wicked lame it's not good it's not good why do people like this why do people <laughs> yeah. like this sorry listeners i'm just yeah i'm real sorry, particular like just doing drive-by wicked roasts <laughs> <laughs> i'm really particular with musical theater that i like because i spent a lot of time working on musicals and plays and uh yeah, just a just a pain in the ass about it. So sorry, y'all. If you enjoy that, that's great. I'm not trying to take away from that. Just not for me. It's not for me. Let's continue on. Um, I, I still I can't find the note where he says that angels are vampires. I don't know where I got. What the fuck? What the fuck was I talking about? We'll never know, Paris. Oh, oh! I found it. I found it. My friend Jerry is a big believer in angels, but he tells me that they have an unusual limitation. They can't work their magic in your life without an invitation. Oh, that's right. They need right, your yeah. permission to cross the threshold. Angels are vampires confirmed. Yeah, that's it. Confirmed. Um, <coughs> uh, number 34 is the same as 31. Please cut one of them. 35 Which, is just wh- be courageous when it's safe and convenient. Yeah. <laughs> that was be courageous something. when it's easy, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Don't. Uh, yeah. Don't. Don't worry about being courageous when it's actually hard. Um. That kind of sucked. I because he's like, oh, you know, it's not, it's not. Um, a lot of the next ones are just rehashes. There's yeah, like number yeah. thirty six. Which uh, thirty six is actually not a rehash. Just crying can be helpful. Sure. Yeah, great. Could but you could have thrown you that? Fear, <clears throat> you could have thrown crying can be cathartic in like a mil- a bunch of the other ex- other sure. chapters. You know, humility is cool and good. Number thirty seven. Yep, agree. Face what you fear. That's just the same as thirty. Um, <clears throat> and again, thirty eight is also a rehash of oh, courage, um, fear. Uh, 39 is especially egregious. Um, Let me read that for you. In terms of fillerness, again. When the sky blackens with winged monkeys, run! And the only text under that heading is just a smiley face emoji. Yeah, that's the worst one. That's the one that pissed me off the most. I was like, you're charging people money for this, dude. Have some respect. Yeah, that's not cool. Um, Number 40 was a good leader keeps a light hand on the reins of power. And I was like, yeah, this is another balanced thing, though. It's like, yeah, being a despot isn't great, but like... You need to recognize when you have to be the one to make an executive decision and not delegate everything. You know, it's actually not... you should read the note as you wrote it, Pass, which is yeah, being a depot. Isn't great. <laughs> well, at least I read it. I retconned <laughs> yeah. my own typo in my mind. Yes, I, don't I don't think appreci- being a depot I... would be that great either because you like, gotta hold shit all the time and people are always shipping stuff in and out and so much. Chris, to take. <laughs> Chris I reached the I reached the fifth dimension of being a literary yeah. critic. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um. Number 41 is just fear courage again. And my note is please stop repeating shit. Number 42, compassion manners again. Please stop. Good Lord. Number 43 is also compassion. 44, compassion would, again. Oh, God. Title, how about you just read the titles of like 42 through 44? Um, Sure. Which is all compassion. 42, killing with kindness actually works. 43, consider the possibility that inside every winky guard brandishing his wicked spear resides a fearful person waiting for someone courageous enough to set him free. Number 44, even winged monkeys have a backstory that makes them less frightening. It's the same. Number 45, whether or not we keep our promises says a lot about who we are. I mean, I feel like that's tied to compassion too. Um, 46 is just speak up for yourself again. Again, it's just the same ideas repeated over and over again when, like Chris said, he really could have condensed them into like... 
you know, five or five or six or ten, I don't know, tightly edited. Seven chaos em- uh, all <laughs> emeralds. Just put the have those be the chapter titles and put all your different points. Because he's trying to present it like chronologically, like you're watching the movie along with him and reading the book. Yeah, right. Which I think just ruins the flow of everything when you could have had just like the compassion chapter and all the parts in the book and or in the movie that represent that. Um, actually, the next one is like one of my favorite parts of this. Um, Emerald Seven, which is pull back the curtain and see things as they really are. I really liked this because he posits that adults and authority figures don't always have your best interest in mind, and it's good to question that. Um, and I yeah. was like, sick. That's yes. a great piece of advice. But then he then he takes a turn that I don't like, which is kind of where he's like, replace them with God or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Mm. Mm. Um, I don't know that he outright says that, but it's kind of like... Uh, it's hinted that, hey, your faith is the most important thing to follow. Exactly, yeah. Um, but I really like the point he makes in this section of fuck the wizard who represents the patriarchy and embrace your role as a powerful woman in this fucked up fantasy society. Fuck yeah! Hell yeah, Pete. Hell yeah. I'm down. Um, He does make, he makes a point a couple of times about how everyone in the Wizard of Oz who has, most people who have a lot of power are women and they're kind of the driving forces um, helping Dorothy along and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a fun thing that I never noticed. So that's cool. Um, 48, forgive and forget isn't quite that simple and it's not always appropriate. We've already talked about that when we talked about the whole parent thing. Mm-hmm. 49, just compassion again. 50 just kind of boils down to like, if you can afford it, travel more. Yeah, it'll you'll get... Another little bit of a privilege thing, but tr- yeah. yeah, it helps. It and, definitely well, helps expose... That's, that's, it's also part of the compassion thing too, Yeah, you know. Um, 47, you this said was, it's like... Yeah, one of my favorite ones, because the, the header there is experience plus validation equals confidence. And yeah, that's a totally valid way to look at it, where like you need to get the confidence, you have to have the experience of working on something and then a little bit of validation from your outside peers. It shouldn't all be validation. It should be a combination of both a little bit. And that's how you get that inner fire to keep doing what you're doing, man. Right. Um, right so I, that's another part I really liked. Yeah. Uh, of course, you want to talk about your next... Your last couple notes there. Yeah, because uh, it's like the final two things. Like, number 51 is just hey, get a dog. <laughs> Which... <laughs> Which is weird because it's like... Yeah, like... dogs are cool, but, like, not everyone can do that. And like, also, don't, don't just get a dog just for, like, some... Because a book about wisdom and Wizard of Oz told you to. Yeah, there's so many reasons that I don't like that. It's like, I love dogs, but I don't own one because I don't feel like I have the time or capacity to really give one the love and care it deserves so i don't own one um and i don't think we need to convince people to adopt animals they can't take care of because that happens at a frightening rate already (laughs) so you know um also like some people are allergic some people are scared of dogs some people don't like them Uh, i don't know it's kind of a weird thing to just throw in there and then your other note which is also a weird thing to just throw in there the last piece number 52 can you read the header for number 52 it's all about the shoes it's just get some nice shoes that like give you more confidence i think is the point i don't know i mean like having the right footwear is important but it does yeah, seem like a little thrown in well, there well there's something to be said for that and everything but it just seems like no, not, one of those like filler jokes not even dressing well dressing appropriately like and what i mean is like hey if you're gonna start running go and get fitted for running shoes i know that isn't always possible for everyone but if you can get fitted for them because the people the running experts will put you in a shoe that's gonna keep you comfortable and prevent injury um, no, they'll you put know. your whole body in the shoe. <laughs> and instead of running, you just <laughs> roll down the street in a shoe. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if you're 
if you're uh, doing any sort of activity, just put some time into the kind of shoes you have, I guess. But this seems yeah. like a really weird time yeah. to be giving <laughs> to shoe advice. Okay. All righty. <laughs> um, uh, the last emerald, you've got the power and you've had it all along, is just E5 again, which was... Uh, Chris, I need post-it notes. I ran out. <laughs> oh my god, I need post-it notes. Um, for our next book, actually. Uh, number five is just you already possess what you desire most, which is the same as you've got the power and you've had it all along. Yeah. <laughs> so two of the emeralds are the same. We could already is... knock this down and just make it the seven chaos emeralds, like Sonic truly needs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the last quote from Dorothy and Glinda. Uh, the last quotes from Dorothy and Glinda kind of go back on everything and they're best summarized as like, don't go too far from home and just appreciate what you have and definitely don't grow as a person, which is like the total opposite yeah, of this whole I'm... book. So like, know. yeah, I don't know what. He's just like throwing whatever at the wall and being like, here's some ideas. Try that out. Buy my book. Yeah. And I, I yeah, like I said, and my, some of my, some of my final notes are, you know, I kind of, I'm not really down with this message of settling for what you have, what's good enough you know don't become a slave to perfection but don't just settle like i don't know um page 119 i said is like we're reading being in time can we also, i don't know what that note was here, about. here's the point where we bring up the fact that this man worked with stephen hawking yeah on his, on his like very famous books that he put out and like oh he, he... i'm sorry i found the passage okay. where i felt like i was reading being in time again Dorothy has discovered a conduit to the vast realm of the collective unconscious. The home to which she's referring is less a physical place than it is a feeling, and less a feeling than it is a state of being. In fact, it is the ground state of all being. This is the spiritual infinitude from which each of us rises up briefly in this lifetime, like a wave on the ocean, individual yet wholly connected, before falling back to merge with the endless depths from which we came. Dorothy's true home, and yours and mine, is the boundless wellspring of creation, the divine force that animates every religion and imbues every aspect of the universe with energy. Home. Say it slowly. <laughs> um, Damn, and man. this just sounds like that's it, so true, man. You need another hit. I'm uh, gonna give you the bong. Yeah, it just sounds like when I was reading Being in Time and trying to understand the definition of the sign. And like, anyway, I, sorry if you're a philosophy nerd, that might make some sense to you. Um, it, it just it kind of just makes this movie seem way more. It's it's pretentious. I guess is what yeah. I'm saying. It's pretentious. Um. He's kind of going off the rails when he starts talking about the explanation of the English word home being sacred. Home, say it slowly. The letter H contributes what's known as a voiceless sound. Let that go. And what's left vibrates from your vocal cords. In the ancient Hindu wisdom tradition, all of creation sprang from this word sound, Om. It's the original <laughs> sound within which everything is contained. As one of the great Vedic texts puts it, whoever knows this one syllable contains all that he desires. Om is the primordial mother. Om is the home we all carry within us. I can't oh, pronounce. Whoa. Yeah, it's whoa, Pete. He, yeah, he. So he starts talking about home and really going off the rails there, which I don't appreciate. I think that's just trying way. That just pushing it. It's taking it way too far. Yeah. Um, I that said, casual tone got ruined because all of a sudden the mushrooms kicked in. Yeah. Um. Oh, I said the end is like a very Karen fucking ending, and the whole thing feels really silly because at the end. 
He's trying to market like a t- remember the summary mentioned a tool. He's trying to kind of say this manual is going to help you fix things in your life and you're supposed to ask yourself like what would Dorothy do? Like WWDD. Yeah, there's that little Jesus bit popping. You're supposed to like go through the emeralds in a certain like not even a certain passage just like just think about all eight of those emeralds and see if they apply to your situation. Yeah, see so See you later. Thanks for the 5 bucks. Yeah, I think, well, I'm sure this, I'm sure he charged way more than five bucks for this. Um, but anyway, I think that, I hope that um, the humility he had earlier about how, you know, this wasn't the way, the truth, and the life, or whatever, I hope that that, I hope it's obvious and that people don't, <laughs> I don't know. I guess people can do whatever the fuck they want, but I just really don't like <laughs> when people try to tell you what to think. Um, yeah, I don't know, and... You had some notes. Uh, Not really. At the end, no. That's that's about it, man. For me. Like, well, because at the end, after it's over, he gives you the tool for like just think about all the emeralds when you're having a problem, and then he does a little bit of talking about the production of the Wizard of Oz of the film. Uh, there's like some facts in there which we got into because so um, Chris had some notes about um, how. Because uh, there are some mentions in the back. This is this is where we're going to talk about some like eating disorder and sexual assault stuff. Uh, there's some notes at the back where MGM said that MGM thought Judy Garland was overweight as a child actress, and Chris was really I didn't surprised. Know that. Yeah, I also didn't know about this. And then there's like a note about the director slapping Judy um, to get her to do a scene properly. Um, and I was also uh, I, so coincidentally. Maybe two weeks before we, or a week or two before we read this, my boyfriend was actually like, made some casual, some joke about the Wizard of Oz production. I was like, oh, that was kind of tasteless. And he was like, no, 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 that really happened. I was like, what? And he went on to explain to me that even though Judy Garland never made these claims, her husband and several other people that worked on the production said that she was like forced to take drugs to try to like keep her weight down she was put on this like really intense exercise program um she was basically just told constantly told she wasn't attractive enough they tried to make her wear like a wig and stuff and um she she was a child actress at this time she wasn't an adult um and there are also claims that she was physically abused like you know the director smacking her and things like that and also she may have been sexually abused or raped by um cast members particularly the folks who played the munchkins uh but you know i don't know how much i don't know what the you know because she never made the claims while she was alive i've i'm not you know i'm not like a fucking film historian i'm not gonna go into the details but just finding that out and seeing that i mean at least he touched upon it i was i was glad he just like mentions hey bad shit happened yeah i kind of wish later yeah i kind of just wish that he was he had spent more time talking about all this problematic shit. He just kind of states things and continues on without engaging with how fucked up this stuff is. Um, so that was a little unfortunate. I think that if you're going to try to say like, Hey, this movie is a, is a positive force for good. And also spend the whole book being like, Hey, don't take things at face value. Look behind the curtain. Like (laughs) probably could have used a little more curtain peeking is all I'm saying, you know? That's the major issue with the with the whole text here is that it's extremely shallow. It's shallow, and it should have been um, more closely edited for repetition in, in the content. Uh, yeah, and uh, there's also like a note in here about 
he felt it was necessary to say that Margaret Hamilton was comfortable with her that she wasn't physically attractive and i was like why do we need to talk about this why do we need to say that oh hey one of the actresses wasn't hot and she was totally cool with it and like i don't know i was just it just annoyed me because it didn't seem like a detail that needed to be discussed and i'm just and after you spend all this time explaining how julie judy garland was like persecuted for her appearance like what we got to keep talking about this now like we got to keep talking about how women in the film looked anyway it was a it's a very minor note that i have it was like one sentence but i was like when i read it i i am my immediate reaction was i yield my time fuck you <laughs> <laughs> what a hero of a generation that oh, gentleman was my God. If you don't know what that is just look up i yield my time fuck you and i'm sure it'll because i had up. i think i had like just watched that or whatever yeah. <laughs> or or recently anyway um <clears throat> yeah and so i guess we're done talking about the book Oh, wait, do we want to say how we can fix it? Because I have a story for after we're done with the book. I mean, you know, my thing is like this, again, it's just a shallow take on it. I'm sure there are more in-depth analyses of The Wizard of Oz as a film out there. Maybe not in a sort of like self-help sort of oriented thing, but like a lot of the things in here, it's just like, you know, the same shit we see in other self-help books. Stand up for yourself. Fear is a mind killer. Be compassionate to, to yourself and to others. Like, sure, great. Just saying that shit, I've heard that before a bunch of times. Could you at least maybe tie it into the into the movie a little bit deeper? Or even give me better strategies and just think about the emeralds. I'm, I can't just... Maybe if I want a better film analysis, that's a different thing, but like... A, a lot of this just rubbed me as like a, a side project that got pooped out on the side and hey it's kind of alright I guess because it doesn't give you straight up terrible advice all the time but why do I need it to be in a Wizard of Oz format <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 a little silly um, I don't I mean, there's I guess much to I, fix besides edits I guess it's definitely yeah like like I said my my two concerns were not really engaging with how problematic the film production was, and secondly, um, not having the content cut for repetition and and just being um, more streamlined. Which, you know, you would hope that as a famous and successful editor, he would have done, but he didn't, mm-hmm. so I don't know. It's um, just one of those things where, like, I just don't see the value if you're not going to put more work into it. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, but in terms of self-help books, I mean, I think this one is definitely a lot better than any of the other ones we've ever read. You know, I'll give it that, for sure. If I had to give someone a self-help book, this one wouldn't be the worst. Yeah, um, for sure. Like, I I think that, I think that there's plenty of good to be taken from it, but you do have to kind of read it with a critical eye, like any self-help book, and I always worry that people don't do that when, because typically when people are reading self-help books, it's because they're desperate for a fix and they're more inclined to believe and trust in what they're reading um but anyway i don't think there's anything too dangerous in this i think it was written from a good place with good intentions right um yeah and though austin can be cute i guess i just wish that there was a deeper connection than like hey they talked about dreams so freud right yeah i'm just not i'm not into cutesy overly positive shit like this like that's the other problem for me it's a little impractical Um, is how i feel yeah and i just you know when there is like a a veneer of of white male privilege (laughs) all over it you know Uh which is hard to ignore especially in the times in which we live um so there's there's that but i don't think again i don't think this guy is like too um i don't think he's too off the mark i think that he was just trying to 
you know, he was just trying to do something. It's what his focal point nice. is, right? It's his totem yeah. for his. Yeah. You know, so, and he, whatever, his, Pete. You know, it's fine that this is out there, I guess, but just a little bit more effort next time, maybe. And center the cover, please. <laughs> yeah, just, I, I know well, it's not. Yeah. I know it's not your fault, but your pub talk to your publisher because that really is frustrating. Um. Yeah. Uh. Sorry. So my other story. Um. It doesn't that is only tangentially related is uh, when I was a stage manager as a teenager, I worked on a production of the wizard of Oz and it was the craziest show I've ever worked on. Um, I don't know where to begin. Uh, it was a huge show. And even, even though I, I did uh, theater stuff in high school, I know that sounds kind of like, you know, not a big deal, but we had a full size proper theater with like a, a large audience space, full catwalk. You know, we had like a, we had, lighting and audio booths at the back uh where you could call the show there were full wings we had a whole prop basement like it was for some reason despite the fact that i grew up in like kind of a shitty area i guess when the high school was built the the you know the city must have been more prosperous and they put a lot of money into that theater and so like we had a fucking proper ass theater to run shows in so um you know when i was running productions it was like a it was you know a real production and the wizard of oz one was just Man, it was a great it was a great production. It was it was really good, but good lord. Um just crazy shit happened. Like we had sixty children as extras to play the munchkins in addition to the regular high school cast, which is an absurd amount of people in a production. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um yeah. Jeez, that's too many children. It's too many children, it's too many people. Um we had these huge elaborate sets because we finally had hired a real technical director. Because they, for a while, they were, like, trying to expect me to be the stage manager and the technical director. And those two things are very different. Like, technical directors build scenery. I did not know how to fucking build scenery and props. So, thank God they hired this guy who was, a he was, like, a dad to somebody. And he was fucking awesome. Um, and he and the crew, like, we built these, you know, we, we all worked together to build stuff. But, you know, obviously, like designing and directing that building was not my forte as a teenager uh so we built these fucking beautiful huge ass sets but they were unwieldy and dangerous and one night during somewhere over the rainbow my crew fucked up they were they were late on a queue um like i called the queue i don't again i don't know how much like sense any of this makes to people listening i'm sure a lot of you are fucking reformed third or theater nerds out there um I called the queue. They responded a little late for some reason. And they rolled over Dorothy's foot while she was starting right before she was about to start somewhere over the rainbow. Really going to help her hit that octave, though. Dude, so she was like full tears singing the song. And the audience went wild. They were like, oh, my God, that's the most emotional real version of somewhere over the rainbow. My fucking foot got and, I, <laughs> and I hate to laugh. But poor Sam. Oh, my God. Sam, um, the woman who played uh, Dorothy, uh, I, I only mention this because her name is Samantha Johnson, and she is an amazing vocalist to this day. She has done a lot of stuff, and uh, if you're interested in hearing somebody with a fucking fabulous voice, like, check her shit out. She's great. Can um, sing with a crushed foot, too. Can sing with a crushed foot. And I, God, I felt so awful. I mean, she her foot got fucking mangled. Like, she was injured and <laughs> i felt horrible injured bad. um and then i mean a bunch of little things happened that i can't even remember i mean it was just a shit show like i was working so much i i don't even know i was basically just made of black coffee at that for those few months of my life 
Um, there was another night where um, there's a part in the in the musical where uh, I think it was actually intermission, where the second act starts with the Wicked Witch of the West giving a monologue, kind of on like a sort of darkened stage where she's just spotlit and the rest of the stage is, is dark and the orchestra pit is below her. And so, um, you know, it's intermission and I'm, we're coming, we're about to come back and, you know, the Wicked Witch gets up, gets on the stage and she's waiting for the spotlight to hit her because that's her cue to start a monologue. And, you know, I'm like, you know, spot, spot three, you know, uh, standby, spot three, go, you know, because you always stand by your cue and then tell them to go so they get them prepped or whatever. And uh, it doesn't happen. And I'm like... Yo, what's going on? You missed your cue. Like, hello. Someone, someone, someone get it, get that happening. And they're like, uh, I don't know. The lights just aren't turning on. And I was like, what? And all we could see is the orchestra pit lights on. And, you know, those are like really faint. They're just so the musicians can see their music down there. And we're just like, what the fuck? And... All of a sudden, uh, so so in order to operate a stage show, like I'm calling as the as the the uh, stage manager, I'm calling the show from the back of the house. So I'm up in the 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 booth that's like above the audience, all the way at the back of the theater, and I have two assistant stage managers on either wing to run things on the ground, and um, I hear one of the crew get on the the headset, and they're like. My friend, my friend Ashley, she goes, Paris, it smells like dead people fucking down here. <laughs> like, whoa, what? what? And she's like, oh, my God, it smells awful. It kind of smells like wires burning. And I was like, oh, fuck. I look at the the um, the lighting guy, uh, lighting and sound guy, and I'm like, hey, dude, I think there's an electrical fire in the patch room. And he fucking rips it just runs through the dark audience right through and i was like damn it why did he run people are gonna panic but luckily no one really noticed so he runs to the patch room which is like off of the off of one of the wings and sure enough the patch board was on fire Uh oh! <laughs> so we're like okay and before we know that there is actually a fire i'm like okay here's the plan like Hey, can someone crawl to the orchestra pit? I have someone crawl to the orchestra pit in the dark to tell Jesus them to Christ. point their to point their lights up towards the wicked witch so she can give her monologue so we can at least stall for some time. Um and I and and like cuz I don't know the the orchestra lights were working because they must have been on some other circuit, you know, or like plugged into some extension cord that ran to something else. And somehow we were able to run the rest of the show like the dude like put the fire out and was able to and like some of the patchboard was still working so we just like swapped the cables around and we ran the show anyway and i now as an adult am like wow that was really dangerous <laughs> like, yeah hundreds of people mm. could have died <laughs> but, mm. you know um but yeah it went on it was fine it was good <laughs> um and uh yeah it was just listen to your dude, longing paris get the show done dude i fucking love um I love being a Setting stage electrical manager. Fires <laughs> I love being a stage manager, but um it's it's extremely stressful and it you don't get paid for it, or if you do it's very little and you constantly have to like move around to follow productions and I just I just decided it wasn't for me. Like that in audio engineering, I kinda decided early uh early on that I was just like, that's eh, kinda too crazy for the non 
compensation you get. But um, anyway, I worked on a production of The Wizard of Oz. It was fucking rad. It was the first time the theater group had been um, profitable in as far as anyone could remember. It went off really well, um, but it was just a fucking crazy experience. So, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like, eh, I don't know, it, time to tell this story, yeah. I guess. That's show business for you, honestly, though. Is like, if a show goes completely 100% smoothly, that is a rare gem. A rare, rare gem indeed. An emerald, Chris? Yes. That's my emerald for you, Paris. Oh, boy. All right. Well, if, uh, I don't know, unless we have anything further to say, I think we're going to wrap nope. up this little gem in some tissue paper. And yeah. That's <laughs> it some for me. Silk. All right. Um, so thank my you. My emerald pa- of wisdom. No one to end the episode. Thank you to our patrons. Um, so thank you to Dari, Greg, Will, Veronica, D, Lynn, Senia, Jakob, Bobby Blackcat, Jensina, Mayo Cat, Elliot, Kieran, Martin, and Jay. If you also want to help support the show, you can rate or review us on the platform of your choice. You can share the show, maybe tell your friends about it. You can subscribe to or follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or Goodreads. Um, or you could become a patron. Um, you could give us as little as a dollar a month or as much as $10 a month if you would like to uh, enjoy some extra content. I feel like the sweet spot there on the Patreon is really the $5 a month tier because you get access to all of our mystery science theater styled uh, commentary tracks for a lot of movie and TV shows. We also have a five episode video series um, called Terrible is Torture, where we do some improv comedy based on prompts that people have given us. So that $5 a month tier is really good. So, you know, get in there if you can. Uh, you can also contact us directly on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, or you can send an email to terriblebookclub at gmail.com. All right. Well, having said all that, um, this was a shorter read because we were sandwiched between one giant fantasy book and another giant fantasy book. So we're recording this way early while we complete that other giant fantasy book. Um, Paris, do you think it's okay to let everyone know where we're returning to? Well, my listeners, <clears throat> you may remember that we've read, a, we've read a lot of fantasy books, um, on this show and we'd like to take breaks from those but sometimes we have to go back sometimes we have to go back so um we're gonna go back to the midlands and to hara and whatever the other part of that continent's called (laughs) we're gonna go back to sexy dominatrixes and leather outfits we're gonna go back to uh fuck school yeah (laughs) we're going back there uh, we're going to read um, The Blood of the Fold, which is the third book in the Sword of Truth series by Terry Goodkind. That is our next episode. We will have a sp- uh, probably have a special guest. I think TJ is joining us again. Uh, he was with us on episode... Uh, not episode two. On the, he was with us for... Uh, Stone of Tears. Sword of Tears, thank you, uh, for our second go um, at the series. So you may remember um, the Sword of Truth series as being something that we think has really good writing and some good elements, but overall troubling in a lot of yeah. ways. Um, yes. And also just kind of samey hero's journey stuff. So yeah. it's one of those, it's one of those, it's a little, a little uh, more challenging to critique because it's got some really good stuff, but it's got some real bad stuff too. Yeah. So, boy, oh boy. Yeah. I, I already read it and you are just starting it. And boy, oh boy, Paris, um, it's it's not as wacky as Stone of Tears was, 
but it feels a little bit circuitous in a way, let me say. Yeah, I think you your commentary was that it um it didn't feel like like we really needed that whole book, huh? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah to be honest. So- so um yeah we'll see how it goes uh it's uh 600 plus pages so that's why we were trying to get some shorter episodes in um you know real pages it's not like maradonia where it's quote yeah. 400 pages but it's really like 100 you know um yeah it, you know or 200 whatever but right. uh yeah after that um i guess i don't i don't mind telling people a little bit about the schedule if we've already settled on some stuff i oh. i think we've got let me just hang on let me just pull up the pulling up the tbc master file um really exciting i have a multi-tabbed guess what guys a multi-tabbed spreadsheet (laughs) for everything for everything she's a data manager that's what she does i'm over here just making funny noises no i'm not i'm not a i'm not a manager but i I guess i manage data that's what i meant i'm a data scientist yeah which is a really um self-aggrandized title for what i do (laughs) let me say that uh spreadsheets my life is spreadsheets um oh right i forgot so our next episode after blood of the fold is next after that you will uh have an episode that is a live read crossover with the antiques freaks we uh if if you have been paying attention to us on twitch in the last couple of months you probably already saw that we recorded this um quite a bit ago but uh, it'll actually be a full-fledged episode um, after Blood of the Fold. After that, uh, I have some stuff on the schedule, but I'm not quite sure where we're all going to land. So I guess I'll just leave it there yeah. for now. Don't make any um, promises yet. No, no, no. I mean, for, for October, we're still going to do like two spooky books for the month of October. or Something that's kind of horror-y. Or, you know, two things that are sort of horror-y. And we have some plans for that. We have some ideas for September and for the other August episode, but we're not totally sure um again if you are a patron and you have not requested a book this year please get your requests in because we have a few more episodes to fill out before the end of this season so um you know if you would like us to get your book in the mix for this season so for in 2020 please send us a message i mean conversely even if you're if you're not a patron please send us recommendations anyway because we do collect those and we do go through them we do read things that non-patrons request it's just that if you're a patron it rockets to the top of the list and we do it like as immediately as possible um and we have to do it even if we don't want to yeah (laughs) that's the other thing about that um whereas if you're not a patron we still may end up reading your suggestion suggestion it just may take like a year or two or never uh you know if it doesn't work for us or doesn't fit into the schedule so you know i think it's worth taking a shot and, and letting us know that um, you'd like us to read something, so please reach out. But um, until next time, please have a have a lovely week. Take care of yourself, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. See you later, Paris. Goodbye, Chris. Goodbye.